Hi, lovely. Welcome to Bloom Birth Stories. Thank you so much for joining me. My name is Kate. I'm a devoted mama of three, passionate breastfeeder and doula, and I absolutely adore listening to women share their sacred birth stories. This is a loving space just for that. Each week, I'll be chatting to women across Australia as they share their unique, very special journey to baby. I hope you enjoy. My dear, dear friend Lucy joins me on the podcast this week to share her two very different, beautiful birth experiences. Lucy had her first daughter in hospital under the care of a private obstetrician. In her words, on her back with an epidural, which was not planned. The second time around, however, was an accidental free birth on the floor of her kitchen while her husband was in the other room on the phone to the ambulance. Beautiful stories. This is a long episode because Lucy and I love a chat, but she is a wise woman, a wealth of knowledge, and I'm sure you'll love listening along. Beautiful, beautiful Lucy. Thank you so much for joining me. I have heard a little bit about your birth stories, but I'm so excited to hear them in all their glory. Thank you so much for having me, Kate. I'm so excited to spend this time with you and also to share a little bit and also to listen to your other episodes that have been and will be coming. (laughs) Yeah. Would you like to start by introducing yourself and your family? Of course. Um, Hi, everyone. Um, My name is Lucy. I'm 35 years old and currently living in country Queensland. Um, I have two beautiful babies. I have a a three-and-a-half-year-old Ivy and a nearly two-year-old now. I can't believe I'm saying nearly two. Um, Heath and my husband Michael and we live together with our beautiful dog um you know an old Queenslander up here in country Queensland so yeah that's us yeah nice and I guess just for anyone listening along Lucy and I have known each other for mm, nearly 10 years we used to I think yeah just gone <laughs> yeah we used to in our past life work in the airlines and then I guess have reconnected since having our babies and bonded through some hyperemesis heartbreak haven't we <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh so much and so many tips but they're not really tips are they it's just survival <laughs> slash might work, might make you sicker. So mm. my best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But solidarity from someone else that's had it. <laughs> yes, yes, I agree, yes. <laughs> Would you like to take us back right from the beginning when you were thinking about conceiving Ivy? Yeah, of course. So um, the kind of background even to that was that um, I'd had a friend go through some fertility testing and things and I saw that it was quite easy to go through and this is when you know I was single um but I'd been experiencing really heavy periods and things and you know excessive pain that I didn't know was excessive at the time I just kind of thought that everybody experienced you know crippling cinching pain and vomiting and things when they got their periods um so when um I kind of started to get the hint that that wasn't super normal I um went and got some testing and received a diagnosis of Um, polycystic ovarian syndrome Um, and the advice given to me at that stage obviously there wasn't too much awareness in the medical community of how it impacted um, was just to do nothing and so no kind of 
diet or um, dietary changes or lifestyle changes or nothing that I could do to support myself. And I didn't really feel that that was accurate. <laughs> um, and the pain continued. And then I ended up having a laparoscopy, um, I think maybe a year later. Um, and I had some endometriosis removed. Um, and was sent off to a vascular surgeon for some other things that they found. And um, I had this constant cinching, squeezing, dragging pain, um, I guess, that was semi-cyclical. Sometimes it would just, yeah, could be a bit sporadic as well. And I was told basically that I had this syndrome that um, would mean that I would never carry because they're carrying the weight of a full-term baby Um my body just essentially just wouldn't allow that and wouldn't support that. So um, I was about 25, I think, when um, I got that news and that was, um, like, it's still even hard to talk about <laughs> now just thinking about how painful that was um, to think that it might not be in my future and that was something that I didn't want tomorrow. But, you know, I did sort of want it at some point. And then um, I met my partner, Michael, now my husband, and ended up moving up from New South Wales um, to his town and started with a new GP and, you know, I was talking to her about my medical history and she suggested some further testing and she went back to the surgeon and got some further information uh, where he said, look, at the time there weren't these diagnostics, but now I recommend that she be further investigated for this and that. And, um, yeah, I went through some more tests and they basically um, said that we could be cleared to try to conceive, which was just so exciting. Like it was just a completely different um, view and Michael had been completely fine as well if, um, like, we'd had that conversation pretty heavy and pretty early. Um, but, yeah, so we were just over the moon and we fell pregnant pretty quickly, which was also um, a great surprise with endo and PCOS and everything. Um, but unfortunately, we miscarried our first um, pregnancy at six weeks. And, um, yeah, that just kind of cycled back to all of the, like, you'll never carry and, yeah, all of those sorts of things. And that was that was really, really a lot, <laughs> I mm. guess, um, to say. And then um, we fell pregnant with Ivy literally immediately after, which was just the most incredible thing. And, um we were immediately referred to our just angel of an obstetrician. So I did go private with both of my births both times. Um, and we found this obstetrician who is just so mother-led and mother-based and just so knowledgeable and caring and does beautiful charity work. And, it, you know, he just resonated with us just so, so much. And a big thing for him was about, managing like my early stages um yeah anxiety and, and obviously helping me feel comfortable settling in because I just had gripping fear all the time um which it didn't prevent me from bonding with my baby it was almost in a thing the opposite like feeling like so intensely bonded and so connected like what would happen if it didn't work out again mm. um yeah, so that was kind of the early the early stages of our trying to conceive and actually conceiving and holding on to a, to a, um, a pregnancy that resulted in a, a healthy live baby, which was just, yeah, amazing. We did progesterone and we did those um, sorts of things in the early days and, like, you know, some reassurance scans every time we went in and 
yeah, I was able to kind of settle in as well as flying to LA every week um, or fortnight oh. in the first trimester. I think oh. I did six, six LAs in 12 weeks and I even got called out for a trip that I had swapped to a friend mm. and then he got taken off the trip. There was some mix-up in the background and I got put back on Mm, no. and he's like oh I really wanted to work I wanted to go and and it's like I'm, I don't know what happened and I was like that's okay and on that trip I actually ended up um vomiting like all over my uniform right before starting or in my stockings in my shoes like on my bag oh. everywhere. and thankfully the uniforms being polyester and that waterproof um fabric I could basically just wipe it <laughs> off and um <laughs> As you know, what was it like that fireproof or whatever? And so I, oh, in, I just, I just grabbed um, one of the mums um, on the flight because I didn't want to tell anybody. I think we'd only even just told our parents, and I just grabbed her and I was like, "Look, um, you know, I have to confide in you, but I am just not okay." <laughs> and she was like, "It's okay." And so, yeah, she was just she herself was a very like earthy, beautiful vibes woman and she just grabbed and nurtured and kind of protected me from like if I needed to go and vomit for 20 minutes you know she'd be like mm. oh I'll go and you know take do the call bells or take the water up the cabin or whatever and yeah she kind of backed me for that trip so I didn't fly again after that um yeah. understandably <laughs> that kind of my, t- my tipping point at that point I think yeah. that was yeah <laughs> Yeah, And because we live like almost two hours from the airport, the commute on top of an LA flight was also getting a bit prohibitive. Um, Yes, no doubt. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I also had a few experiences with high premises and flying and doing safety demos and coming into land. Just having high premises on a plane and working is like, the worst hangover you've ever had in your life and you have to stand yes. there and look pretty and it's just, oh, it's not I always described it to people as like alcohol poisoning without the good time. Yeah. yeah. And you're basically just like so immensely and even when my friends come to me and they're like, oh, like I had a bit of like, oh, nothing like you. And I'm like, no, 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 any sickness is hard. Like any sickness mm. is, is bad and valid and it's it's tough, like. You know, I remember coming off one flight and trying to talk to Michael in the garden. I'd woken up after landing and I just started vomiting in the garden and I was just like, I'm just so poorly and he kind of didn't know how to react because normally I'm quite independent and I wouldn't want him to, like, overly comfort me or anything. Mm. Um, But he kind of learned from them that this was more than just, yeah, like if I was hungover, if I was, um, you know, a bit sick from food or something. Um, Mm. And, yeah, he became an incredible partner for a HD mum with unquestionable, like, yeah, just support. He knew he would ask, do you want me to touch you or not, you know, and I'd be like, back rub you know and then be sick again and then I'd be like no touch and he'd like just stand back so yeah um and he renovated um part of the bathroom for me so that I had a sink for the times when I would just be so sick and then need to like because it's a separate toilet you know without the Mm. the sink there so then I could kind of 
wash in there and wash my face and rinse my mouth and then if I needed to go again. Um, and in one of my vomiting episodes, I actually ripped that sink off the wall. Um, so, um, <laughs> so, you know, um, yeah, two o'clock in the morning and he had this terrible crash and I had gotten in there quite dizzy and so fallen to my knees and on the way down, oh. I took the sink with me. So then I was vomiting while holding it up with one arm because I needed to be sick, but I also needed to not have this ceramic sink like on my body. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh no. And then our beautiful friend came. It was a Sunday. Um, this lovely plumber um, that we know when he came. And Michael was like, Look, I know it's a Sunday and it's terrible timing, but this is what. And he was over in a flash. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. At least we could have some lighthearted moments amongst the endless, the limbless. Yeah. You've got to find um, something in yes. there to keep you going. <laughs> So um, before I would like to talk about the hyperemesis a little bit more, but I just wanted to ask, you know, having had that uh, miscarriage and your history leading up to conceiving, was there a point in Ivy's pregnancy that you just kind of took that breath, that relief when you made it to a certain point that you knew that, that you were going to be able to carry this baby? Um, not really. I don't think, I think at times like, um, definitely once, like it was, it was, you know, kind of the week before each appointment, I would just start to get really, really anxious and and really, really flustered and we'd go in and and the first thing our obstetrician always did was go straight to the heartbeat, straight to showing us some movement patterns, you know, to allow me to feel relaxed and relieved and have that breath so the moments like it wasn't continuous if that makes sense it was more kind Mm -hmm. of based around appointments and then obviously once I got uh, fetal movement and I was really fortunate in her pregnancy to have um an interior not posterior (laughs) at the back um Mm -hmm. posterior placenta and so um I was thinking he was interior and I barely felt a thing um and so I could feel her movements constantly and I could you know if I woke up or I I felt like oh my gosh it's been a period of time I could always kind of rub my belly and nurture and kind of yeah we did go in for fetal monitoring at one point because there was one morning where I felt like um it was in the third trimester and I felt like it had been almost you know kind of two hours and went in and the staff were just incredible and of course and thankful and I can still feel the relief of as soon as they hooked me up she started moving away and we were like oh like it was just yeah it was amazing so um probably not until she was in my arms really until I really felt like this was and of course you know we were over 41 weeks so I definitely waited for that (laughs) that beautiful kind of feeling but yeah more based around appointments I suppose and kind of knowing um checking boxes around like yes you know I've had another scan we've had another milestone kind of moving towards Mm -hmm. yeah yeah good and um with your hyperemesis that lasted for the majority of your pregnancy right it went the whole way through and I also um stayed sick with her postpartum until about six months um, what? Yeah. Um, well, with, with Heath, it was until he weaned breastfeeding at about 17 months. So um, I'm, yeah, um, 
I don't know if it's a combo of like the endo hormones and everything that kind of is triggered with the estrogen or whatever it might be. Um, but especially while my breast milk supply was really high um, in those early months, still persistently sick day in, day out and with a newborn and with everybody telling me it was going to end at 12 weeks and 20 weeks and when the baby's born and it didn't. <laughs> and it didn't. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. Um, you know, and that's a lot when you then have a toddler seeing you be sick in your second pregnancy who, uh, like, she's so empathetic um, with how she is and, and she would get so worried and it. I don't know, I'd always just be like, mommy's fine, it's okay, and and everything. But, yeah, um, thankfully our toilet and everything, like it's right down the end of the house, so I could quickly just, like, nip out. But, yeah, with Heath it was until um, until he weaned. Um, and some of that's probably triggers as well from, like, brushing teeth or smelling a smell or, you know, getting in the shower where you would routinely vomit for how long, you know, in in the early days and that sort of thing. Um, but but other stuff was definitely like and around getting my period back and those sorts of hormonal changes would always trigger a big um, kind of return of, of intensity and that sort of thing. And yeah. Yeah. I'm sure equally physically challenging as it was mentally challenging. Oh, absolutely. And thank you for like I mean, I mean, you've been through it yourself, but for also recognizing that. I think um, it can be sort of uh, written off sometimes as uh, like you wanted this or this was part of your experience or that happens to people or, and it's like all for a really prolonged duration because I was always, I was pregnant and then breastfeeding and then pregnant while breastfeeding and then breastfeeding and still sick. You know, there was never kind of really a lapse in time where it wasn't there. So at times it was, um, I tried to really draw on gratitude that my challenge was something we could really handle fairly easily. Uh, it didn't require um, lots of additional appointments or specific kind of, yeah, like medications or needles and things like, yeah, what a lot of my friends going through or you know it was a challenge that I felt I could meet but it, it would feel really exasperating sometimes around like yeah you know mm. <laughs> at some point like surely like am I am I gonna get a break you know so yeah there were little glimmers throughout I think her second trimester where um it sort of didn't appear for like the full day every day kind of thing but it was mm-hmm. never really yeah yeah. didn't really do the whole 12-week thing that people tell you it will. Mm. <laughs> and just quickly, uh, and just quickly, as you said uh, earlier, everyone kind of needs to find their own way of just getting by. But what did you do? Were you taking anything? How did you um, get through the day? Yeah, so when I was flying, um, I took a bit of Maxillon-type stuff, but I found for me it um, actually just... I felt better to be sick and get it out. Um, and with the suppressants, it was more like it just kind of quelled the nausea and I could, I like I physiologically wanted and needed to be sick. 
but there was that suppressant preventing it. Um, so then I didn't medicate throughout the rest of her pregnancy or through heats um, because I just didn't find something that really made it so much better that it felt warranted taking, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if that makes sense. So, yeah, like if it had worked for me, all in. Like <laughs> I, I would not have wanted to um, feel like that if I could have helped it. Um but it did make me laugh, you know, in the first um, kind of instance with Ivy and, you know, I was very focused on wanting to, and I think we all are in maybe earlier pregnancies than later or maybe vice versa, but wanting to really eat well or try to exercise where I could and, and put as much nutrients into my body as I could. And with Heath, I was just buying like cases of cans of coca-cola and I would crack one and just have like two or three sips and be like oh yeah like that's that's really good stuff and then <laughs> it would and then that would feel really sickly so you know and then I'd go to maybe have it later but it's one flat now so it's no good anymore um mm-hmm. yeah and then I'd be like oh I, you know but at, at that point I think had to like that worked and that was an effective strategy that could help me if I had to do an errand or get out of the house or do something. So it'd be like, okay, emotional support, Coke can kind of thing, (laughs) Um, you know, and yeah, sometimes I'm like, oh, I wonder if I had to like, yeah, try that. But you have to be comfortable with whatever you're doing, whether it's script meds or natural remedies Mm -hmm. or yeah. And I was really fortunate to be supported and afforded a lot of opportunity to rest um by my husband and he would really give me that freedom to rest and especially when we had a toddler to take care of um you know putting in those beautiful extra hours of an evening and weekend to allow me to just yeah kind of get by (laughs) I guess yeah um and only have myself to to look after in that sense so yeah probably Mm -hmm. just rest in coca-cola if anybody's listening Um, (laughs) (laughs) take your pick (laughs) and what did you do uh, throughout your pregnancy to prepare for birth did you have a vision in mind of what you wanted yeah so um I've had a few friends have babies um kind of before me I'm not the first in my friendship group um but I hadn't probably heard too many birth stories, I guess, or like it just wasn't really something that was that was overly shared. And so I knew a little bit about what I thought birth was like and then I kind of had a natural instinct even in my parenting and everything. I tend to like to research across a variety of topics, look into it and then see what will sit with me. So... I looked at things like, uh, you know, like we did the hospital antenatal class, <laughs> um, you know, we learned how to bath the baby and all of those sorts of things. Um, and then I also was so incredibly fortunate alongside the amazing obstetrician that we have in this town that we have this magical, beautiful lady, um, Leah, and she provides um yoga and birth preparation and massage and um body you know kind of preparation services and things to the very 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 fortunate women um in a maternal space in 
our town. So I was really fortunate to connect with her and I did some birth prep yoga um, with her class as well as some of her massages. Um, and she recommended some other books like the Juju Summon Birth Skills and um, I went to a hypno pre-info session um, because Ivy was a born at the end of summer. Um, everything kind of goes on hiatus over Christmas. So um, all the courses were closed and things, but we could still go to an info session. It was too late for us to book in for one by the time she was then due for that to be um, there. And we also got the book. Um, so, yeah, I just did a bit of reading and tuning into some birth accounts. Um, Badass Mother Bertha, you know, all of these amazing accounts that share birth in all its different shapes and forms. Um, and yeah, I also um, made my husband watch a lot of Call the Midwife. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we, we would sit there and yeah, with a cup of tea and um, talk about talk about different things. And yeah, I don't know, I guess it just kind of opened my eyes a bit historically to kind of how things have progressed and if they've regressed a little bit um, currently where we are and drawing from beautiful traditional and cultural methods where that could support us and, you know, having my husband completely on board with um, my birth, my way, I think was a huge catalyst as well as my obstetrician completely backing me, like all of our conversations were around um, my ideas and preferences. You know, I would never felt like I was pushed down a certain path or like I had to feel a certain way um especially with going over 41 weeks and ivy was you know classed as a big baby uh, i never heard those words leave his mouth so i never had a feeling that i had to prepare for a certain type of birth because of my baby's size or what was occurring in that space um mm -hmm. yeah i was just kind of left i guess a bit more to kind of find out what what would work for me but I didn't tune into any podcasts and I didn't tune into any big meditations or anything. And I did that for my second time around. But if I had more time again, I would absolutely be much more um, into that. But you don't know what you don't know. So, Yeah. Yeah. So did you want to take us through Ivy's birth now? What did that look like? Yeah, of course. So um, we, um, birthing in a private hospital, they have the limitations. There are 41 plus three and so kind of as the we got closer to I like it to be the due month um I think a fixation on the exact date um obviously for low-risk pregnancies um yeah it's a little bit too much in our society and so as that got closer started getting people really peppering us um out of excitement and love I'm sure but I don't think people know how that's received on the other end um with how you can kind of feel around, especially once you start pushing past 40 weeks. And, yeah, so um, with Heath, I actually changed my phone number <laughs> the week prior. Mm -hmm. um, it was a convenience um, where I needed a new phone and we got a deal. Um, and with that, they offered a new phone number and I thought, fantastic. Um, so <laughs> how convenient. And I sent it out to yeah, literally just my parents and then um, kind of 
the two weeks later was like, oh, here's a birth announcement um, with the baby I had a few weeks ago. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, um, we got to our 41 weeks and everything was going well. Um, the weight was pretty accurate on the ultrasound. They were estimating around 4.2 and she was born at 4.3, which is about 9 pounds 7. Um, yeah, so about 4.3 kilos. So they basically booked me in for induction at that point to come in on the Sunday night and start things off. Um, that is incredibly upsetting for me. Um, I think I just held some concerns around induction because I'd only heard stories that weren't positive. And maybe if I tune into some more podcasts or readings and things, um, there's some incredible and amazing and beautiful induction stories out there that are really great and my institution was very supportive with providing me information and allowing me my queries but uh, I think it it just wasn't how I'd kind of pictured things and so I'd been going to the gym in those later weeks and I'd had a massage with my beautiful Leah from Bellies and Bubs and even she had said maybe just don't worry about exercise at this point. Allow your body to just soften and, and rest and, and see. But mentally, I suppose, and it was one of those coping mechanisms with HD and with getting later in the pregnancy. Like I would kind of, I was doing nothing strenuous and I would get sick halfway through a workout or sometimes on the way to the gym. <laughs> Michael would be yeah. like, would you like to turn around or whatever? And I was like, no, no. Um, because I could walk on a treadmill at two kilometers an hour and it just gave me bodily movement and yeah I've, I felt better overall doing it so I went home that night I was dressed for the gym I went home after my 41 week appointment via the shops where I just bought like cheese plate stuff and I was like we're this late in to proceedings it doesn't matter if I eat soft cheese anymore <laughs> um, and just sat on the couch and just cried and cried and just really had this huge emotional release and um Went to bed, went to bed separately because at that point, oh gosh, it was March and it was, it's so hot and I was so uncomfortable and I didn't go to sleep until after two o'clock in the morning, just working through all of these thoughts and, you know, thinking what can I do today um, <laughs> to kind of get things moving and yeah, like we'd done some acupuncture and um my husband calls it smoky toe um, with the moxibustion sticks and stuff. So, yeah, like we would sit out the front um, and that was an act of love for him because he just really didn't love the smell. But, yeah, it gave us a bit of fun, I guess, to kind of laugh about and, and enjoy. And come mm. um, four or five o'clock I started having these contractions and I was thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, and I got up and it was this beautiful rainy day. It was foggy and it was just cool. And I thought, oh, thank goodness, you know, I'm not going to be in the heat and, you know, things are happening. And the contractions started off about two minutes apart and they never got, like they were never further apart, you know. It was never this kind of, they tell you, oh, 10 minutes or half an hour. And they started off thick and fast and really obvious. And a lot of this plays into my second birth where, it was a contraction, <laughs> you know, like it was a big cinching in and it really felt how you would think it would feel. Um, and it was very obvious that things were progressing. So we got to about, I woke Michael up and I said, 
um, I think I'm actually in labor, go back to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I was like, you need, you know, you'll need to have rest in case this kind of goes all day. But I was like, I can't sleep now. And he's like, well, I want to support you. But, you know, like, what, what do you prefer? And I was like, well, I think I just want some time alone. And I really just wanted some last hours with my baby, I guess, like with her or him. We didn't, um, we didn't pre-find out. Having this kind of last private time of just us. And so, yeah, I was just like, oh, that's okay. And I'll kind of come and get you when I'm feeling really bothered or if I need some help or anything. And so he got up after a little while and it got to about 10, 10.30 and we rang the hospital because the contractions had never gotten um, further apart or anything. And so it was, it seemed like things were established and they said, look, just come in, you know, being booked in for induction tomorrow anyway. You're having the baby today or tomorrow. Either way, come in. And, oh, in hindsight, uh, like, you know, things obviously turned out well. I wish I hadn't gone in. (laughs) Um, There was no way of knowing that. Um, I guess how dilated I was or how progressed things were or anything from home. Um, But I probably wasn't at like a a feeling of an unmanageable pain level or things. I think it was more anxiety driven around um, what if things aren't right or what if I, like I felt safer going in and feeling like I would be more supported, I suppose, in that environment than just us at home in case something wasn't happening um yeah and ivy was posterior positioned as well um we tried a lot through my birth prep massages and things and through acupuncture to get her turning um but she stayed posterior which caused a lot of back labor and um so i just thought oh like i'll go in and we got settled in had a wonderful midwife who helped me through the tens machine and then i wanted water and Hopped in the shower, hopped in the bath. The hot water wasn't working in the bath. (laughs) Um, So my husband had to go back and forth to the galley with a hot water jug, which sounded very familiar to our (laughs) employment history. Halfway through through a flight and you're running out of jugs of water. Um, And so, and that got to a point where I was like, well, I would rather have him there with me, but they also wouldn't let me stay in like a cooler kind of, bath I don't know anyway so I was like oh just get out and um kind of walk around and and do some stuff and then at the shift change um I don't know if they maybe got some more mums on the water if they reduced staffing numbers or something but then I was suddenly on the bed with continuous fetal monitoring not really being allowed to move around um saying that I had a temperature um, that was there and that for me really like mentally and physically obviously stalled things so much because I just so badly didn't want to be on the bed and at that time they didn't have the mobile monitoring um so it was all just attached to the machine next to the bed so um knowing what I do now I know that I could have asked for okay you can monitor me for x period and then I'm off the bed and you can come back and hook me back up in 30 minutes or an hour and kind of agree a time frame. Um, but that wasn't offered to us and we didn't know to ask. And I suppose my one naivety with the whole birth process was that probably thinking the obstetrician would be there 
for the bulk of it rather than the midwife. Um, whereas because you're not kind of forming a relationship with midwives as you would in a group practice or a birth centre, you are really beholden to who you get on the day um, and you don't have a prior relationship with them and you don't have um, rapport, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, we kind of weren't being offered options, I suppose. It was more like if we knew about them to ask for them, we probably would have been afforded access, but without knowing about them, even like sterile water injections or something like that for my back, um, which was, yeah, pretty uncomfortable <laughs> um, uh, laying on my back and, um, yeah, I'd be making her way down. And then it got to a point where I just said, look, I really don't think if my waters had broken by themselves and then I'd had a, um, a augmented rupture, like they, my obstetrician came in and broke the rest of my waters and I just didn't feel like when it got to, I think it was five o'clock or so, oh, I have like another 12 hours of this, you know, I'm feeling worn out and, and a bit in pain and deflated. And I asked, um, I spoke to Mike about it and he was so supportive with like whatever you think is going to be best for you is going to be best for us. Sorry, I don't know why this is making me a bit emotional. Um, oh, please. <laughs> Yeah, and so I ended up asking the um, pre-nephigeral. I really didn't want, and it's not a pride thing, it's not a, you know, like I don't have any problem or judgment with that. I suppose it was just something that I didn't want for my personal birth. And so anyway, they said, oh, look, because it's a Saturday, you know, there's one anaesthetist on shift and he's actually stuck in a surgery and he won't be up here for a couple of hours. And I was like, oh, you know, it didn't feel like a sign around oh, it's not available, so keep going. It was more kind of like, oh, my gosh, like, <laughs> now what am I going to do? You know, like, oh, you know, because I kind of made my peace, I suppose, with accessing something that, you know, I didn't really, I didn't like the gas. I found it quite dizzying and, and ineffective. Um, and one thing they were saying was that potentially I was having this apparent temperature from being quite dehydrated because of the HD. So I was on a fluid drip as well. And, um Anyway, the, one of the midwives that we had actually rang around and she found an anaesthetist who was at home on a Saturday afternoon working in his garden and um, he heard the situation and he came in like minutes away. You know, he scrubbed up and came rushing in and had a great chat to us and he absolutely nailed the placement. It was super effective straight away and it just gave my body that um, rest that I suppose it needed after a long time of laboring still um and things moved really really quickly after that you know I felt quite relaxed and Mike and I were talking about like imagery you know beautiful holidays and things that we'd done together and um yeah how things were going and then this pain came back and it felt like the strength of a full contraction but concentrated on an area like the size of a pea so if you can get like that whole body <laughs> feeling but like uh, you know, and I just was like, this is excruciating. And it was really something. And um, I started to really communicate that the epidural had been working. 
it's no longer working. Um, I am feeling immense discomfort in this kind of section of my body. And um, the midwife that we had there at that time uh, was very, very dismissive and really shut me down and told me that that's what happens to some women. It's not effective for everybody. Um, you just have to deal with it. There's nothing that can be done. And if it hasn't worked for you, that's that can be part and parcel of what it is. And I'm saying, well, it did work. So it's, I don't believe that it hasn't worked overall, but I can't stay here <laughs> like this. Like I was like, I need to, I need to sit up, I need to move. And so she instructed Michael to uh, put his arms behind me and do, you know, a body lift. And as she reached behind me, she said, oh, and went back to the, Drip. I'm not a medical professional, so I don't know the correct terms. Um, and she clicked the vial in um, that she hadn't actually done. So basically I'd had the test of vial to check it wouldn't kill me and that had run dry, which is when it had completely obviously then the effect had worn off um, and then sat there telling me for some time that um, that was just my luck. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I still hold a bit of uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, that was her personal personality, do you want to say? Uh, that, that's obviously her as a person. That is not who I believe or how I believe midwives uh, or medical professionals operate. Um, I've had many that have been absolutely wonderful um, and I believe it was her. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know why she chose not to check when I was really very vocal um and I was speaking up for myself as best as best as I could and as much as I could finally as soon as it was clicked through uh lo and behold the same effect took over where it was very effective and wonderful um and a huge sense of relief and me kind of thinking that was really weird but I didn't have the time or capacity to deal with what was going on um I sort of wish now that I had have just asked for her to be removed or replaced um shortly after I started having signs of the fetal ejection reflex and I could really feel my baby just just moving and pushing so hard down and I was thinking oh my gosh and that's something that I hadn't actually heard about and that was really confronting that was really disconcerting for me to think um what I knew about pushing was you know hold your breath blue in the face push 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 so to feel my own baby pushing herself out which I now know is an incredible physiological response and you know I always kind of draw the analogy of farm animals they take themselves off into a dark quiet corner and their body will naturally generally do that for them um we have that built in too and so when I raised that I could feel the baby uh, moving and pushing um she insisted that um I needed not to push stop pushing we're going to hurt the baby um and that was really difficult because I wasn't choosing to do it. It wasn't something I could control or stop. Um, you know, and she was telling me you're only five centimetres and you're not progressed and um, there was kind of this, I suppose, first-time mum attitude about the situation of you don't know your body and you don't know what is going on. And I think either myself or Michael made enough of a fuss <laughs> um, or whether the other midwife was just coming back in in general. And um, she took one look at my belly and she just said, oh, here we go, and called my obstetrician and he came straight in and said, you're fully dilated. 
you know, and, and you're really ready to go and, and your baby's right here. So to go from messaging around don't push, stop pushing, you'll hurt your baby <laughs> to go time. Um, yeah, those are probably the two things that I carry and they're related to the same person. So I can compartmentalise that into her. Um, it was then, yeah, very um, focused, coach pushing, uh, amazing obstetrician offered my husband the incredible opportunity for him to be able to um, glove up and receive our gorgeous baby um, once they were crowning. So um, Mike, yeah, got down the party and and, um, I was watching him put these gloves on and we laughed about it all the time because he was getting like, you know, four fingers in and two fingers were still hanging out the gloves and then he's like trying to rush and like you know um you know what it's like flying when you're trying to put gloves on quickly to do a rubbish clear or something and you're kind of all fingers and you're fumbling and um I had a contraction that I just completely held off pushing just didn't do anything because I was watching him and I was like he's actually going to miss being able to which at the end of the day, I mean, the father should be able to just touch his baby as she comes out, but so be it, infection risk and so on. And I remember thinking to myself, I'll give him one contraction. I won't get, I'm not going to give him two. <laughs> and, and um, yeah, thankfully he um, super quickly got, got that gob on and, um, yeah, he was able to um, receive her as she came out. But then as he recounts, you know, um, because she was birthing posterior, seeing her face right there um, as she came out. And I was obviously feeling down and feeling her hair come out and feeling her hair and everything. And that was so motivating and just incredible. Um, We had an episiotomy um, done at that point for, um, I guess, being on my back, quite close pelvis, head size was a concern. Um, And, um, yeah, I'm still not sure how I feel about that. Um, I think at the time it was just a yes, you know, and I felt completely attended to and consent based with my obstetrician. I never once felt that I was told to do it or that I had to do it or uh, that I was going to risk all sorts of terrible things if I didn't. Um, I was offered the choice. And I think at that point I just thought if this is going to help get her or him here sooner, um, then, okay, you know, we'll, we'll go with that. And um yeah, anyway, so then um, Mike still says, you know, he remembers kind of looking at her and I, my contraction had subsided, so they were waiting for the next one for me to be able to um, push her body through. And Michael's like, you know, she was this colour and I'm thinking this can't be right. Like the obstetrician's talking to me casually and the midwives are standing there, everyone's got a big smile on their face, like, what's going on? Like, why aren't we getting the baby? And kind of, again, not um, thinking in that moment, like, oh, we have to wait for that next contraction for for the baby to to really come through. So, yeah, anyway, so she birthed um, beautifully and, um, yeah, completely healthy and up onto my chest and we had um, a really beautiful experience with uh, what's called now like the golden hour and that sort of thing where um, the midwife that we had in the room um, she also does a lot of charity work herself over in the island. So she was doing um, very nurture, you know, village-based kind of cultural care, completely left us to have our, our early moments while she potted doing the inspections and 
checks and things, but without ever taking my baby from me and letting that natural first feed um, occur and have our connection and, and then Mike having his hold and then having a way and measure and, yeah, like delayed cord clamping and all of those sorts of things were afforded to us, which um, I know still doesn't happen for people who request it and ask for it and it gets forgotten about. So um, while it should be standard um, as much as possible, I still feel really, really fortunate that we had um, that start to things. Um, yeah. And then I still remember like trying to get up off the bed and it's like, whoa, <laughs> I don't think, you know, I've laid down this long for so long and hopping in the shower and I um, had a funny leg like from the epidural and whatnot. And um, I got wheeled back to the room <laughs> and I was like, oh gosh, you know, like I'm okay. And they're like, no, you know, you know, of course you feel amazing right now. Um, but yeah, we can't, kind of can't let you walk through the halls and things and we just can't get into your bed. And yeah, so we stayed in for a few days being private. Um, unfortunately, really didn't receive any LC um, assistance. Um, that was massively pushed in the antenatal classes because it was run by the hospital LC. And she happened to be away at the time we were birthing and there was some kind of staffing lapse. Um, so we received none. Um, and <laughs> Um, my beautiful girl had a uh, tongue and lip tie that was quite um, pronounced. So along with me being like disproportionately big busted and especially I went up three cup sizes in the first trimester and um, I was already at a starting point that was not small. <laughs> um, <laughs> so like huge, you know, huge feeding bust. Uh, also with a bigger baby, um, obviously, she was about the size of a six-week-old born. So um, you're feeding a baby that's got that hunger and appetite from when they're out. It's not the teaspoon of milk that people talk about. It's a six-week-old's hunger and appetite to support the frame and the body that she's in. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, like all of the kind of early days feeds were really, really difficult. And I was blessed with a graduate midwife who came in and said, she was the first person that just walked in and just hugged me, held me and just made sure that I felt supported and she arranged help for me on a night shift. Someone's going to come and sit with you. We're going to help you out. You know, you won't go home feeling like this, like you do right now, which was incredible. And I really, really credit her um, because we had 17 beautiful months and, yeah, Bless her. So good. Oh, she was amazing. And, yeah, I I still remember, like, (laughs) you know, so many tears in those first three months and um, (laughs) making Michael, like, inspect my nipple. Is it the wrong shape after a feed? Or, like, (laughs) you know, um, getting out the harker and those sorts of things. And by the time we did have an LC consult, we were at day 10. Like, my nipples were completely gone um, and I'd kind of had to figure out my own uh, latching and stuff like she couldn't naturally latch herself it was too shallow and it wasn't um effective and um the lc in that consult um there was a second time mum there who was just kind of there with her feet up as you would as a second time mum. oh i have an appointment i have to take the baby and um yeah she was like look at how well that baby's feeding they're putting on weight they're going really well they're not using a bottle or anything and um you know, it just was such an unfavourable comparison and it was not this lady's, this poor lady's fault at all. Um, 
and she was more whispering words of encouragement, like it's hard in the early days and, you know, stay the course and, and that sort of stuff. So, yeah, we um, we mix that with expressed milk um, for Ivy because we don't have any um, kind of family support or anything locally here. It's just us. And we particularly didn't want um, a situation, I suppose, where uh, I might have needed to be away at some point and we didn't have a secondary kind of option or pair of hands or, or that sort of thing. So from a really early outset, um, we were mixed feeding in that sense. And I really, really support any mum or dad um, that need to do what works for them in their feeding scenario. You know, and I was pumping daily for Ivy until about 14 months old. And he's, I think I pumped like three or four times. Um, it was just a completely different feeding scenario. And I just didn't ever want to hear that noise again. Um, so, yeah, it was like, <laughs> And also because of how, so her feeding took about 45 minutes plus every feed, every time. Um, we never really, which um, is very slow, relaxed paced feeder. And she was very happy doing that. And so, it was also a matter of just thinking like, you know, if we're out or we're on the road or something, like we can't kind of stop by the roadside for an hour. Um, of course we would if our baby needed that, but ideally if we could just, yeah, like have a bottle, take it on the road, that was so much easier living a bit rurally to have a few little options there. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, she took to it all like a champ and just such a beautiful memories of and feeding with her and our little, you know, she would suckle away and I would be pumping on the other side and then swap. And, um, yeah, she was just a champ with it. So yeah. it did work out beautifully, which was great, but it felt very, like, self-directed, I suppose, um, yeah. and it didn't feel like I had a lot of support and I didn't have a lot of friends who um, were feeding at that time to kind of bounce off. Or I would kind of feel, well, you're lucky you've got milk or you're lucky that you've... Uh, it wasn't so bad that you felt you had to stop and it was like, well, yeah, you know, like you kind of, depends on who's in your space at that time. So, yeah. Yeah. And I was still feeding when I conceived with Heath. Um, so that went for about four months and with the HG, I just, I was dry in a desert. Um, <laughs> I'm sure the poor darling um, would have just been <laughs> probably so resentful and she never bit. She never, like, you know, got cranky or anything, but I'm sure she was just there like, what are you doing? <laughs> so, you know, this is rubbish. So, yeah. Oh, so good. And now with Heath, having your history, um, was his conception planned or were you just kind of loosely trying or...? Yeah, definitely a bit more concerted trying, I suppose, but it's a bit tricky with not having your period back, not knowing when it's coming back. You might catch it before it comes back um, and catch that beautiful egg on its way down, but um, that wasn't the case for us and we literally got to, I think it was about 13 months. We might have been, my period came back about 10 months, I think, so we'd probably been trying from about eight or nine. And um, I just hit a bit of a natural pause with thinking I'm starting to potentially fixate or feel a bit overwhelmed. I'd like to give myself some space with um, ceasing pumping 
um, getting a bit more like sort of healthy. Obviously, Ivy's fees had quite reduced um, through that point. She took to solids very much so, and she was really, really happy with choosing when she fed um, on demand and whatnot, and she was just naturally reducing by herself. So, yeah, we got to that last month where I was like, look, you know, I think I just want to give it a breather. Obviously, if it happens, I'll be overjoyed, but I don't want to be in a concerted space of kind of trying to make things happen. And um, I'll start exercising more concertedly and, you know, really focusing on nutrition. And um, my sickness with him really started at about three weeks pregnant. (laughs) And so I was doing a workout on my new regime and all wonderful. And I just kept feeling so dizzy and I just couldn't shake this dizziness. And I was really so unwell and I thought, oh, my gosh, maybe I'm just pushing the exercise too soon after such a long break and I need to, you know, be a bit calmer. And, and then the vomiting started and I was like, oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, oh. And it was just, yeah, incredible. And um, COVID had, you know, become this huge thing by then and um, as it has been. And so Michael was working from home, I think, in that period and, I just had this urge to do a test and with Ivy, we'd always tested together and everything with our previous pregnancy prior to her. And I put her in her high chair for breakfast and went and did, you know, the test and it came up really quickly. And I ran down to Michael, um, who was on a video meeting, unbeknownst to me. And um, (laughs) I was just like, quick, quick, quick. And he's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? You know, and um, thought that something must have happened with with Ivy. And he's like, I'm I'm leaving this meeting and I'll come back. And I'm standing at the bottom of the stairs, shaking this uh, test at him going, oh my gosh, my gosh, you know? And so we had this, this quick like hug and, and, celebration and then he had to get back onto this meeting and be really serious and (laughs) kind of and then go okay where do you think we're at like how far along and yeah sort of what's happening so yeah so that was quite cute and unexpected in that sense of like yeah we we had given it a a go and then we Mm. kind of said let's put off the gas a little bit because you don't want it to become a space where it's so consuming and yeah just wanted to be kind to us, I guess. Yeah. So this the yeah. sickness was back. The HG was back. Oh, massively. <laughs> and with a toddler on the go. So incredible power to you with twin <laughs> pregnancy with a baby girl the same age as what, very similar age to what mine was with you. Like I just, oh, the superhero, unbelievably so. It's something else, hey. And it's yeah. when I think back to all of the times that I could have rested in Ivy's pregnancy and I was trying to be like a trooper and kind of push through. (laughs) And then I didn't have that option that time around. So, yeah, it was massive. But the rest of the pregnancy was really healthy and um, we had, um, you know, with me being home full time, um, I was able to just achieve that rest. Michael, uh, he came to all of my appointments with Ivy. I don't remember ever going to one. Um, alone and so he also was able to come to all of them with Heath as well all the if we needed external scans and things um because they do some of them at a different center yeah so that was just amazing amazing to have that and probably in a way for our little family a blessing to have had um a very private 
pregnancy and experience and being home a lot alone together. Um, mm. I'm a very happy stay-at-home mum. Um, in this season of my life, I really embrace being home with my babies. It works beautifully for me um, and for them and for us, my husband. Um, so it was definitely something that, yeah, I wasn't sitting there feeling kind of restricted or anything in any way. It was, um, yeah, if anything, it was better. I was closer to the bathroom, um, <laughs> you know, at all times. So, yeah. So did you do anything um, preparation-wise differently this time around? I really did, actually. Um, I think because I'd had the hospital experience where I kind of felt um, certain ways about certain aspects of it. And I guess for a little while, I kind of didn't want to immerse myself into anything about it. Like I just, I don't think I had the capacity or the space to be able to go into that. So I left it for a while. And then my obstetrician, um, Dr. Lenzi's Homer, he has started running calm birth courses and it was, either just prior to our pregnancy, I think, or, or during, I can't remember the time frame. And he was at the time, I think he still is the first and only obstetrician in Australia to actually offer them. So we had this incredible benefit of having him and his midwife, Sally, presenting these courses. And we did the two days with them. Oh, I must have been third trimester sometime. It was incredible. And it was honestly the most effective Thing for me because we picked up so many couple and partner tips, um, able to work through a few of the previous kind of concerns that I had. And this time I was so much more aware of not coming into hospital too early, um, which I obviously took that a bit far. And, um, <laughs> and um, yeah, so working with that Calm Birth course and the content we'll provide it, as well as Jane Hardwick-Collins' book, 10 Moons, Mm -hmm. the most incredible book I think for me that I was able to read with it, all of its strategies with her personal experience and lived experience as a mother as well as a midwife it was just a hug in a book for me it really resonated and I found the information so useful um, and so connecting it really felt like she was almost delivering it to me through me reading it so um, yeah, I didn't tune into that until about the late 30 weeks. He was born about 38 plus six, I think it was, second child. Um, I can't remember exactly. And, um, yeah, the content from her I probably started consuming around 35, 36 weeks and was from one day of, oh, I don't want to open it. What if it's not right? What if I don't resonate? What if it, you know, you can sort of feel a bit like it might not, be right or what if there's something that makes me think about other things and at the second I opened it I was just reading to a point where it's like okay I have to put this down now and come back to it tomorrow in small pieces and yeah it was amazing so that was the difference in my prep was wanting to avoid that hospital setting um as much as possible so equipping myself with a bit more um meditation and home environment preparation um, as well as my massage um, and yoga from, um, yeah, my beautiful Leah that I'd been going to throughout Ivy's pregnancy as well. So mm. And nesting, 
that was a weird bit of prep I didn't do with Ivy where it really <laughs> did not overtake me at all with her. <laughs> I really was very happy with chilling out. And with Heath, it was compulsive. Uh, like the night before he was born, the linen cupboard immaculate, you know, like tearing things down from shelves way too high for me to be reaching and <laughs> kind of like Michael saying, you know, get down and I'll, I'll fix that. And I'm like, no, 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 I have to do this. Like I have to do this. And, yeah, that was probably the difference in my prep. And, um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah that, well, that nesting, um, thing is actually part of the physiological process and that's mm. what happens to us sometimes, you know, when we're creating our space to birth, it's, it's all part of it. So yeah, it certainly does take over sometimes. Um, and <laughs> I just want to say, it? yeah, sure did. Um, but I just want to <laughs> say as well with, um, Jane and her work in particular, her book, I so agree. I found it such an intimate read and yeah the second I opened it to I was like this woman speaks my language and I love her and her work so if you're listening to this get familiar with Jane because she's a legend (laughs) all right so would you like to take us through Heath's birth now I'm excited to hear this (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> of course, so, um, I have saved definitely the juicy info until last. Thank you for listening this far. Um, anybody that's still there, myself and Kate. Um, <laughs> and so um, with his birth in the week setting up, um, I'd had Braxton Hicks with him from about 14 weeks and it was really, really strong and really, oh, like sharp, take your breath away. With Ivy, it was cute. Like, oh, this is like, oh, like, you know, movement, no, no. With Heath, it was very clear and intentional and it was not not great, <laughs> not about it. Um, and there didn't seem to be particular triggers, but, yeah, it would just come on. So, anyway, that early it was a bit disconcerting, but later in the piece I was like, if it happens, it happens, <laughs> just whatever. <laughs> and so we got to about 35 weeks and I had a few episodes where for about an hour straight I would have deep, uterine contractions just like I did with Ivy um I would get my bag ready sit on my football put my headphones in with my meditations again tell Michael uh wake up I think I'm in labor go to sleep um and um you know I'll get you I'll get you shortly and then I'd come to bed an hour later like oh you know I don't know what's going on but Um, obviously my body was doing some beautiful preparation work, but at the time it just felt like such a ripoff that I was um, experiencing really strong um, labor signs and nothing was happening. And I just did keep kind of thinking, oh, I might go over 40, 41, 42 again. And yeah. So then the day that he was born, um, I went in for a birth prep massage and this is specific acupressure points and um, it is just the most nurturing, like, hug that you could possibly receive. And Leah specifically said to me, I'm not going to do too much for you because, um, as we knew, he was posterior. And so, uh, you know, malposition and if you come in tonight, I have my weekly yoga class at 7 o'clock that night. Um we will give you some specific moves and that will hopefully get him to drop a little better into the pelvis for you and um, hopefully rotate. So I said, that's completely fine. Let's just do a lovely relaxing massage and I'll go home and see you tonight. And 
I came home with just like these sort of little niggles throughout the afternoon, but more like when you sort of can't get comfy in your seat, <laughs> you know, like you're just kind of like, oh, just a bit uncomfortable or if you're traveling for a long time and you, you just kind of feel that weird um, kind of ache or you want to shift around a bit. And um, I actually had a girlfriend at my yoga class who was due to have her baby really soon. And I was like, oh, what if she doesn't come next week? And I was making her some, I think, definitely some lactation brownies and stuff. I think maybe some magnesium spray. Um, And so I spent those final hours doing birth prep in a way, but for someone else. So yeah, I was kind of making things. And I guess mentally um, in the background, subconsciously, I was getting into that space. And I said to Michael, um, I would just like you to drive me to yoga because I don't think anything's happening, but if I just feel too, it was only five minutes, but I was like, if I just feel too uncomfortable to kind of sit properly in the driver's seat, like on the way home, or I don't know, I just was kind of like, oh, I just don't really want to drive myself. And so he was like, oh, of course. And he secretly called our friends who were going to babysit for us. And he's like, oh, look, um, you might receive a phone call tonight to come and care for Ivy um, because we have no family in town or anything you know we kind of had to make sure we couldn't just go to grandma's and (laughs) kind of be like oh we're on our way and so um they were yeah completely open to that and um Ivy was very trusting with them so that was a huge comfort for me for me to feel safe to go into the birth space I had to feel like my toddler who I spend all of my time with was going to have nurturing care and I can wholeheartedly say that if for whatever reason you know, I wasn't here tomorrow for the day or the week or the month. Um, I could 100% trust the beautiful family that did look after her for us um, as our friends and as very nurturing people. So that was a huge relief for me. And I think that really released myself into that next stage. Um, And yoga was just more relaxing than anything. I was like, oh, kind of felt like that discomfort shifted and I didn't, I still hadn't had any contractions, but I just felt more aligned and I felt, oh, perfect. Whatever Leah's done today and whatever we've done tonight has actually moved things around, but still not feeling like it was a birth kind of move around, feeling like it was a, you know, just more comfortable. And so we almost got home and I said to Mike, oh, actually, do we have any heat packs? You know, the typical pregnant woman request, <laughs> like last minute where it's like, get this emergency snack or like I, I want the lawn mode tomorrow or whatever. And, you know, um, and he's like, of course, honey. So we turned the car around and went back to the chemist. And um, as we pulled in, one of the calm birth meditations is about the flower and the opening of the flower. And the flower that I had been envisaging was, the frangipani. Our neighbour has this stunning sunset orange frangipani tree that hangs over our um, fence. And so we get all of the beautiful scattered flowers and they're happy for us to take as much as we want um, from it. And so it's the flower that I really associate with ivy. And I felt like taking that imagery into my birth was going to really make me feel connected with my body having the power, having done this before and being able to channel that. And um, as we pulled into the chemist, there was this huge French penny tree and it had one single flower on it and it was right in front of us. And I was like, oh, that's just, yeah, like it just felt so beautiful. And I thought, oh, I'll I'll picture this now um, when I'm doing my meditations tomorrow or whatever. 
And so we got home and tried a shower, hated it, just immediately did not work. Um, and I thought, oh, I just want to go to bed and get some rest. So popped on the football and just hung out, very dark and quiet um, space, which I like anyway. I like dim lighting and that sort of thing. So it wasn't anything unusual. And oh, sometimes I just really felt like I just couldn't get comfy, you know, and I was just like, oh, gosh, like can I just find a comfortable position on this football or on the couch? And I started just vocalising a little bit. It just felt so natural to just kind of breathe out with some sound and had my headphones in and got to a point where I said to Mike, look, I think if you start to put Ivy to bed, I was like, I still don't think I'm having this baby, (laughs) but I feel like I need more support. And I was like, I just feel like I would just like you with me, whether it's like, you know, a lower back massage or kind of, yeah, I just was reaching a point where I just didn't feel like it anymore. So he's like, of course, honey, like, you know, we'll pack up the house and go to bed. And he got her ready and um, went to do their teeth and bath and things. And I walked into the kitchen and they were up the front end with white noise on, so a few rooms away. And um, I had these two contractions in a row just as I reached the kitchen bench that I was just going to, I don't know, get some stuff organized that were just like lightning and they were so fast and so full on it was like sort of 12 hours of labor in those two and I just was like oh oh because to me it was that contraction moment to say like yes you know you're in labor and I was like oh gosh this is exciting um I might put my tens machine on while Michael's putting Ivy to bed so that I can potentially manage because I don't think I really feel like experiencing that again in the next few <laughs> seconds. And um, as, as I put it on, it sent an absolute rocket across my back in my lower back. And that was just exactly the back labor that I have with Ivy. And, um, and in my water broke and really significantly. And so I ripped the TENS machine off. I was like, oh, no good. <laughs> so that's a, you know, like obviously it worked, but it's sort of like it was meant to, you know, alleviate. And, um, and my first thought was to call our friend. And I quickly phoned her and just said, hey, honey, um, I'm so sorry because by now it was, you know, after 10 and, and I said, oh, can I just... Um, ask you to pop around because my water has actually broken and she they only live blocks away and I was like um it'll probably still be a few hours but by the time you get here I will be asleep um just come when you can and she was like okay okay no problem and I was like oh um I think I'm about to have another contraction I'll I'll hang up and she's like okay you know I'll be right there like and I said don't worry don't worry take your time she's like no I'm coming so she set off immediately and my water broke again as I hung, hung up, like that extra kind of flow. And I really called out to Michael at that point. And he was at the other end thinking, and he says this to me all the time, like, I'm trying to get the toddler to bed. <laughs> Why are you making so much noise in the kitchen? <laughs> and he had just walked away from me like this just talking normally, standing normally, not, you know, 
constantly telling him, and he knows that I know my body well, I was insisting that I did not feel the signs of labour that I'd experienced with our daughter. So he was not anticipating coming out. And I called for him again really loud and um, he kind of got that one <laughs> and um, came came out and saw me just kneeling down onto the kitchen floor and I just said, look, um, I'm not, we're not going to transfer um, can you please call triple zero and um, we'll go from there. And he's like, okay. And immediately stepped to it. And one credit that I can massively give him is super calm in a crisis. We're not flappable people. And he also said that he was feeding off me being so clear and calm and just directive with this is what needs to occur. So full credit to, you know, eight years of emergency procedures at work, um, <laughs> teaching me to just kind of, yeah, issue directions and um, carry on. And um, and so he left Ivy with me um, to make the phone call and he stepped out into the other room because he couldn't hear. He said I was a bit loud at that point. Um, and he turned around when the phone call connected so that he could update them. And I don't remember this part. Like I, did, I had to ask him, were you in the room with me? Or I had no understanding of where he was or what was happening at that point besides funneling everything into receiving my baby, <laughs> you know. And so, um, yeah, he pushed himself out in um, literally one push, just hit just a huge self-directed ejection um, straight into my hands and I was quite low at that point. I think I was properly kneeling. Um, so I was able to just catch him and being posterior, that was the beauty. I got to see his gorgeous face um, as soon as he was out um, and was just, yeah, got to nestle him up. And um, the only thing was that because I had my noise cancelling headphones in for my music, I couldn't hear him cry and I could see him crying Um but I couldn't hear it well. And so I'm trying to like hold on to my beautiful newborn, nudge my headphones out of my ears that are stuck in because you know how they form that seal. Mm. And I'm trying to like, (laughs) you know, and then I've got my toddler next to me and she's so beside herself because not only did she have the stress ball that I have finally let go of so she can play with it, that I've been holding on to it all evening, but she now has a new baby like right in front of her. And so, um, yeah, it was just, it was unbelievable. And it was just the coolest single moment of my life besides her birth of course where you are just literally there just going this is you like this is your this is the baby that you've been waiting to meet and and here they are and so Mike came in and um we were so fortunate we obtained um the call recording um so we were actually able to piece together a few little things from timestamps and the time of the call and everything and how uh, what unfolded in it and so we can figure out that the birth from that very first contraction when I had two in a row um, to holding him was 60 seconds. Oh, my gosh. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And so um, it was still 24 hours of labour in one go. Like I didn't miss a step. <laughs> um, <laughs> I still have to cut your body still has to dilate yeah. um so it's you know all of that um but it was incredible and yeah Ivy just was straight up to 
this beautiful baby touching him just so gently on the head saying, um, you know, Baba and, and just being enthralled. And um, we had a great uh, response from the paramedics. Like they were there within five or six minutes, I think. And um, they came discreetly as well because Michael said, look, um, and I was on the call as well. Like, I don't know who I thought I was at that point, but I was just very calmly like, and the guy's saying to me, you know, you need to conserve your energy and probably thinking I'm in a bit of shock, but I was like, oh, I feel incredible. Like this is past phone, you know, like I'm Ooh. good to go. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but then when they turned up, obviously that kind of put a bit of a stall on things for my body after that with, lights on wanting to check the baby and we found out that he was a boy on the call which is really beautiful because he was trying to talk to us to keep conversation and flow and make sure that yeah. he was going and he's like so um have you had a boy or a girl and we're like oh we don't actually know like we hadn't even um yeah kind of looked or anything at that point and, and yeah I'm just like oh it's nice I've had a boy and so yeah like it's a it's an amazing moment for us to have that recorded not um, in video because we've only got a handful of very blurry pictures um, from everybody just shaking with <laughs> what, what had happened. Um, but, yeah, so it's cool to have that addition. And if anybody has any opportunity to have any part of their birth recorded, photographed, audio, uh, you know, if you're by yourself or you're with a team, just take that opportunity, even if you just hit record on your, your iPad, uh, to capture the background or whatever, you know, it's mm. it's the best stuff when you're ready to go back. Would you agree? Like with yeah, your recordings and your, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, what an epic, beautiful experience <laughs> and having Ivy right beside you. Oh, my oh. gosh, so amazing. Uh, I just want to know, yeah. though, um, in that experience, do you remember a point being like, okay, I'm about to have my baby on my kitchen floor. And was there a moment of fear that embodied you at any time? So I think when I started to, like I'd called out for Michael that second time and I thought, he doesn't come, he doesn't come. And I'll walk up the hall with this baby in my arms. You know, like <laughs> I just kind of scrapped needing anyone there because I, my body just was all systems go and because it was so so immensely fast as well um the one thing I did think was with the and it was pain I'm not going to sugarcoat that the immensity of the pain that I was experiencing all I could think of was Jane Hardwick Collings tip to focus on the pain so hard it's all you can think about and that will actually dissipate the pain for you and I really did that I just felt like I was staring at this funnel of pain and staring straight down it and then it wasn't there anymore it was unbelievable like it's just the most incredible tip and that's in her 10 moons book so please access that if you can because the tips that are there for anybody um going into birth I never felt fear I felt so prepared with the research I'd done with knowing myself, I think, of course, make like the, is he breathing? That was my, my concern or my fear in that sense. 
but knowing that my baby was about to birth and I was it. Um, and that's kind of cool in the birth report as well from the hospital where it says the, you know, the primary like attendee was me. Um, so, yeah. you know, that's, that's kind of cool as well. Cause I said to my friend, um, you know, I was like, Oh, what's this word or whatever. And she's like, Oh, she's like your whole birth report just reads that it was you and you were just, you know, you t- you did everything like you tick all the boxes that other people would there'd be normally all these different roles so I was like oh that's kind of cool so amazing yeah I genuinely didn't feel this like <laughs> um sense of fear and I think that's something that a lot of people have kind of immediately said oh my gosh I might have been so scared in your situation or oh that would have been really distressing and I'm like oh actually for me it wasn't and I don't know if that's just a combination of prep and instinct or uh, I also have the safety net. We have, you know, a large base hospital five minutes one way and we have the private hospital that we were intending to go to five minutes the other way. So I had a safety net with proximity and help at hand and that sort of thing as well. So I just only felt great and it was just, yeah, it was just amazing. And then with the paramedics coming in, obviously my light's on and, noise and questions and my body kind of the placenta was not going to come anytime soon with that. Um, And I fully respect them coming from a risk-based perspective that they're normally attending accidents or they're normally attending things that are very um, critical and confronting. And they kind of kept asking if I'd planned it (laughs) Um, because I think they just thought I was too calm and I ended up saying, look, like we, we have actually paid for a private obstetrician and I would not be next to my fridge. Like, I, you know, I'd have a, I'd have a beautiful like daisy circle and some lovely candles and, and fairy lights, but I'm kneeling next to my fridge in, um, yeah, like on a gym towel. Like I, this is not <laughs> the room. kind of where, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, you know, um, at that point he started um, sharing um, his needs, which he does beautifully to this day. Um, he wants everything yesterday, the way he was birthed is who he is mm-hmm. as a person. Um, and so, yeah, he was getting pretty vocal for a feed at that point. And I just said, look, um, like I had Michael filming this for me because I wanted to see the breast crawl and I wanted to, engage in it as much as possible afterwards knowing the adrenaline would wipe a lot of those memories um and as soon as the lights went down he just latched and he stayed latched for the duration I think he was on for about two hours straight with just close to mum you know and it was so 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 beautiful um yeah so I walked down the stairs and popped myself on the stretcher and I kept the cord um I didn't want it clamped um ideally I preferred to deliver uh, to birth the placenta and then have the cord clamped after that which my obstetrician wholly respected and when, when I arrived um he came he got there shortly after us and he's like you know oh my gosh like he was so thrilled and happy and he mm. said in his years of practice um I think it had only I was only the second or third maybe in like six years or so here um that's kind of yeah I had that unattended um kind of birth experience when we're yeah planning to to birth with him so yeah he was just so over the moon and so excited to hear about it and that was a really beautiful thing to walk into an environment where 
again, had an incredible grad nurse. She showed us through the placenta and the sac and talked all about the cord and she cut parts of the cord for me to take home. And um, I was like, oh, I just want to take, yeah, like some bits and pieces and kind of what I can. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so they were very supportive, understanding that I had just had a very unexpected experience. And so whatever they could build back in for me of my desires was absolutely afforded to me by that particular midwife and um, my obstetrician and his midwife also happened to be on shift too. So she was settling us into our room and yeah, like it was, it was um, really amazing. And um, there was one midwife on shift where she was like trying to get the checks done and probably more of a risk-based perspective herself with, oh, this has all just happened at home. We need to make sure this baby's okay. And my obstetrician essentially said to her, well, you can't get too far because the baby's cord is not clamped. And so, like, you can't, you're not really going to take the baby uh, while I'm still, um, you know, having the placenta um, coming out. So, yeah, so that was that was kind of funny to look back on where it's like, yeah, the baby is attached to me, but quite literally. Um, so, yeah, until that's done. And she's like, oh, no one's ever really done that. And it's like, well, yeah, I was I was really supported by the by the staff there to sort of say, well, yeah. And then any of the midwives that came in while I was there were like, oh, you're home birth mom, oh hey. And so, oh. you know, they were kind of all more like wanting to sit down on my bed and talk for a minute about like, oh gosh, so like fill me in or like what happened and stuff. So yeah, and I did find it a different experience where it was like, oh, you've got breastfeeding experience, like you're right to go and you can kind of yeah, but different baby, different human, you might still need help. Um, but overall he said, yeah, super well, just an oversupply that caused him a lot of reflux in the early days. And it took um, beautiful Luca McCabe um, from Boot to Food posting about her experience with it and it just clicked. And we had moved past it after about six months, but I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, if I had only had that info, because it's so taboo to talk about too much milk. Um, yeah. Everything's about low supply, which is such a concern and um, absolutely deserves attention, but no one is really out there posting about or sharing about the other end where I was being told, like, well, you're lucky you have so much milk or some babies just vomit and they're still happy and it's like, but I don't know, it just never felt like he was all that stoked to be honest yeah. <laughs> um yeah so yeah but the birth like I came home feeling amazing hey like there was no um I healed up really quickly there were internal and external stitches because we've got no idea how he birthed either like we know that he was sunny side up but we don't know if he came out with an arm up or with his chin out or kind of mm. kicking me on the way out to get out so quickly. Like, yeah, we didn't kind of know um, what what level um, of things. And the paramedics were concerned about um, the risk of, like, excessive loss. But it just, I think more than anything, just looked a bit dramatic because I kind of moved, you know, like from in, in front of the fridge and then I turned around to the island bench so I could sit against something. So mm-hmm. there was more of a spread of kind of stuff. And, yeah, my poor husband had to wrap up, like, all the towels and bring them and, <laughs> and they were like, oh, look, like she's not, yeah, 
it's it's all okay. So he's like, I'll just take those home. And and then he drove around town looking for food for me because I felt like I could eat for the, for the first Amazing. time in nine months. <laughs> yeah. And massive shout out to my gorgeous girlfriend who was staying at our home, looking after our toddler, and she cleaned up every single part of our kitchen that I had touched. And with absolute motherly love in her heart, she just went out of her way to do that for us. So, yeah unbelievably sure. grateful for that part of yeah. the village that she would just do that so of course I'm yeah. sure she was running off some of your oxytocin and <laughs> really enjoyed she, that oh she was amazing she'd walked in and um came in through the front door and the paramedics were there through the back door and I was holding Heath and she was like um what time did you call me kind of thinking like has there been this <laughs> vortex time lapse and I'm like no really five minutes ago so yeah she was honestly there as soon as possible but she couldn't have been there sooner um so yeah that was pretty like kind of funny as well because it's like we already knew each other quite well but we know each other very well when I'm still on my knees um holding a baby just wearing a crop top and being like you know come on in (laughs) Yeah, well, still, still yet, still yet yeah. to birth the placenta and all. Yeah, we just some stuff. So yeah, and we just had beautiful. Um, I just so wish that yeah, you could move to Queensland for those times that I was birthing, even though you had your own pregnancies at the same time. Because um, I would have loved a big doula hug um from you. And oh. we had yeah, we had some gorgeous doorstep drops and things from friends and some really beautiful reach outs because we practiced a four trimester nesting um, both times. And so we had um, four weeks with no visitors with Ivy. And I think it was about six or seven with Heath where it was just our family, um, us three and then us four. And um, that was just the most incredible restorative period. I think with our early days um, in like infertility and news and trying and, and all of the things that had happened to feel nurtured and comforted and bonded and for Mike to be able to take that time as well is so invaluable and it's paid dividends in you know in the time down the track any time that your partner if you have a partner can spend with you um I think is just only good for all of you um yeah yeah so I'm a huge advocate in that slow postpartum and uh um fourth trimester but you know the people have different needs and different families and not everyone can access it but it doesn't have to be that you lock yourself in your house for four weeks like I did I was very happy to do that um and just sit in my garden every day and I still do that like let's be real um I don't really (laughs) um yeah so yeah that's kind of that's us and that's that's the second one so yeah I think our baby portal is closing but you know that's that's we've got two beautiful stories behind us so yeah what were you asking beautiful I was just (laughs) going to say in terms of your village I mean um I know that you are a massive pillar of support you have been for myself and I am no and I'm sure that you have been that for many other women so um I'm so happy that you had women taking care of you and you had your community. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. We had, um, yeah, just some really beautiful reach outs and a couple of connections that we'd made from antenatal or yoga class or something where it was just 
so lovely and um, I'm always so honoured when someone will come to me for a talk it out or, you know, asking for some tips or guidance um, for themselves, sometimes for their friends or um, that sort of thing for anything, whether it's pregnancy, breastfeeding, um, infant, you know, solid feeding, sleeping, um, mother nurture, like any of those sorts of things. I always just find that to be such an honour that someone would trust you with such a vulnerable part of their experience. And so the work that you're doing is just unbelievable that you get to go in and hold women in that time and space of their life to walk with them in that. And, yeah, I think your babies and your family and what you're handing down for them is just incredible and we need more of it. And I think it's something that more people could do. It can feel very daunting. You see these lists all over the internet saying what not to do. Um, mm. You know, don't don't come unannounced and don't bring a gift, bring whatever, or don't bring flowers or don't wear perfume. And it's like, let's everybody's entitled to those beautiful um, specifications. And we certainly had ours, and I will always hold on to ours, especially around sickness, mm. around newborns, and those sorts of things. Um, yeah. I think stand up for yourself and put it right out there. But I think on the flip side, people get really daunted and stressed and put off, especially if they're not in the baby space themselves. And they think, oh my gosh, I'm the worst friend ever. I brought flowers. Well, I would still love flowers. Like go right ahead. Mm. But, um, (laughs) you know, and I would welcome those graciously like anytime. Um, Anybody listening? Um, So (laughs) my husband will make it this far. Um, (laughs) And so, yeah, but by the same token, like I think any reach out that anyone is affording you, with a good intention that isn't trying to sway you into a certain type of feeding or sleeping regime or a certain type of, um, you know, you have to be out and about when you don't want to be out and about or, you know, those sorts of things. Um, just for us to welcome it because it will only improve the community. And you can't know until you're a mum. Like I do think myself how gracious some of those mums must have been when I would have turned up with a bottle of champagne to say oh congratulations and they're like wow <laughs> you know or like here's some flowers in a cute onesie like all the best and but that's from the heart whereas now I'm like you know here's your bone broth lasagna and some chowders and teas and um I'll just keep dropping things on your door for the next few weeks so <laughs> like you know never never have to open it but talk to you later kind of thing and so yeah, yeah, I think it's great the work that you're doing that's making that awareness in the community and giving yeah. people an option to opt in. You know, yes. someone might be really effective at, oh, I saw Kate posted these bliss balls and I know how to make them. I can make them, you know, like it's mm. very low, low kind of risk engagement to just support a family. And if a mum isn't there, in your life, like friendship-wise, or a dad, they don't necessarily mean it. <laughs> you know, like it's such a consuming and sometimes overwhelming time and I think sometimes too it's just important to put aside and especially after having a subsequent baby, um, like, oh, my gosh, you think you're so busy with one. And then, oh, my gosh, how busy can you be with two and three and four? And so, yeah, I think um if people aren't showing up in your life for whatever reason, you've got to give them that season as well mm-hmm. to kind of go or meet them where they're at. 
and yeah, I loved, yeah. I loved hearing about your pregnancies and supporting you with your info that we could share or yeah, it um, was so nice. bounce Thank ideas <laughs> and also a bit of HD support club and yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, just amen. <laughs> yeah, wish I could see you in person. So hopefully our next um, chat will be in person over. Yes. Some <laughs> kind of beautiful tea or drink or some kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yes, in divine timing, I'm sure we will get there. <laughs> but Lucy, thank you so much for sharing your amazing stories with us. I'm sure this is really going to resonate and people will love listening along thank you so much for having me kate and for just being such a supportive and beautiful person in the birth space you're definitely an inspiration thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of bloom birth stories if you enjoyed please subscribe and share with a friend and if you'd like to share your story reach out you can find me over on instagram at kate bloom doula see you next week beautiful